comes the best cold open ever. Okay. In three, two, one. Tell me a time where you got so nervous that you said the stupidest. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just speaking. I don't get nervous that often. That's true. You don't. So I don't have a good answer for that. I don't think I've ever, I've ever, I mean, I've had the like Tell- you two moments where the movie theater guys like enjoy your movie and you're like, you two. Okay. That's good. But th- I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> this is the greatest. Let's just have it. So <laughs> biggest moment for me where I got so nervous. I said something stupid. Otherwise known as just awkward life. I don't know. There's just so many. <laughs> what, this is your what, question. What to choose? What to choose? I mean, do I choose something from this week? Do I choose something from my childhood? <laughs> this is not, this is maybe the most nerd. Yeah, this is, this is up there. So when I was a kid, we went to an army surplus store in New York city in like the middle of Manhattan. I think I was six, six or seven, but <laughs> I accidentally sat on one of the shelves cause it was my height cause I <laughs> sat on it and it fell Aww. and then I got so nervous. <laughs> My mom's like, go over there. And I go backwards and I literally topple over three <laughs> entire shelves. Boom, boom, boom. And then I was so embarrassed that I ran out in the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> and my aunt had to chase me down That's and hilarious. brought me back in and apologize to the guy. Well, if we're talking about just embarrassing moments. One time my parents were talking to a family friend in Lowe's. And I definitely thought that it was my dad there. So I walk up and just stick my hand in his pocket. And it was not my dad. (laughs) So that's really funny. I was just really embarrassed. That's a cute story. I was like, because they were both wearing khaki pants and like a polo. That's when you're which dad is which when you're three feet tall. All dads look the same. That's correct. So that's absolutely correct. Unless your dad's a twin and then your uncle comes and visit and he tries to tell you he's your uncle and you're like, no, you're my father. Yeah, that's that's a whole new level of yeah. There's weird. that. All right, that was it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm Bethan and I'm Leah. This is She Will Rock You. Da na na. Uh, so welcome to this short and sweet episode of She Will Rock You. Today we're talking about Billy Squire. Billy Squire does not have a long career. Um, I did this. I I picked him because I wanted to learn more about him, which is why we picked pretty much all of our topics. But as we'll see, he kind of hasn't done anything in a long time. Yeah. To to be fair, I really just know his name and I know he was a musician and that's it. Yeah. So I feel like I'm going to learn something. So the, the way I discovered Billy Squire is one day I do what I do every now and then. And I put on my Instagram story like I need some running playlist song suggestions. Mm-hmm. And our friend Carmela over at oh. uh, Generation Clash. Yeah, she's awesome. She's she, writing a book right now. She was writing a book. It's going to be awesome. She suggested two or three Billy Squire songs. And I was like, I just add everything that anyone suggests because, you know, when you're running for two hours you right. want, you don't really care what you're listening to you just want new music that's not the same 17 songs over and over yeah so i threw them on and like i i put my phone and when i'm running in like a, a run belt thing and i so i had no clue what was coming on and i was like oh this song's nice but his song she's a runner 
which is a very good song choice for my running playlist came on and mm-hmm. like it started playing and I was like what is this I like literally stopped to get my phone out to see what song it was so I can remember it for later so so I found Billy Squire nice so jump into him I'm probably gonna lose my voice again in the middle of this episode that's fine because it's just been my life for the last two weeks so William Hayslip Squire what a what was that middle name Hayslip H-A-I-S-L-I-P wow who was born on May 12th, 1950 in Wellesley, Massachusetts. When he was nine, he took piano lessons for two years. Mm-hmm. He did not like it. Mm-hmm. So like any good grandparent, his grandfather bribed him to take a third year of lessons. <laughs> he finished his third year, took the bribe and quit. Good for him. <laughs> um, but after, you know, doing the piano lessons, he did become super interested in guitar, as is every... 11 year old boy mm-hmm. so he bought one from his neighbor for 95 dollars don't know where he got 95 dollars at 11 years old but yeah apparently he did good for him but he didn't take ever take guitar lessons he just taught himself uh and he got good enough to briefly attend the berkeley college of music in 1971 nice he didn't stay very long oh. because he wanted to be in a band as there does everybody I don't um, want to go to college, mom. I want to be in a band. Yeah, pretty much. It's the theme of all of these. So he joins, or he, he doesn't he doesn't immediately find a band, sorry. He just is his solo act. Mm-hmm. So he performs for the very first time ever in a nightclub in Boston, and I only put this in here, because it's called the Psychedelic Supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. It's the best club name. I hope it's still around. So he performed solo in 1968 there. It's his first like live performance ever, which is a, is adorable, to use our word, mm-hmm. um, because that's the same club where he saw his idol, Eric Clapton, perform. Oh, that's so awesome. So that's cute. Yeah. So shortly after that, he, he, you know, he gets his feet wet performing in nightclubs. He learns the ropes. He learns what he's doing, mm-hmm. learns how to perform. So he shortly after that first performance joins a band called Magic Terry and the Universe. <laughs> I like that one. Did not last long. I feel like I need to turn on my salt lamp after saying that. <laughs> <laughs> he left that band after not long at all, like a couple months. Right. To form a band called Kicks. With a guy named Jerry Nolan, who would later become the New York Dolls drummer. Oh, okay. That didn't last long either. Yeah. Uh, so Jerry went off to go do his own thing. So he joined a band that already existed called Sidewinders, which later became a band called Piper. Same people, I think. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Piper was managed by the same management company as Kiss. Oh, another Kiss tie-in. So they opened for Kiss on their 1977 tour. Nice. Including two sold-out nights at Madison Square Garden. Oh, that's awesome. And that was kind of all that happened with Piper. Piper did release two albums with Billy. They weren't... They didn't really go anywhere. He left. He left on good terms. They just kind of knew that that band, the way it was, wasn't going to go anywhere. So they all kind of left to go on their own project. So his days with bands are over. Because in 1980, he signs a deal with Capitol Records to work on a solo album. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never rejoins the band again. It's all Billy Squire, which is interesting. I just find solo acts as a whole, no matter what genre, just interesting. Yeah. I'm a band person, in case you guys have not noticed. Yeah. I'm a band person. So like solo acts just fascinate me. And his so he releases his solo album, 
The first album is called Tale of the Tape, which is a pretty good album. It, it did really well for a debut solo album. It had a, a number one, I don't want to say number one single. The, be, the top performing single was called You Should Be High Love. It got pretty good radio play, which mm-hmm. in 1980s is a, a hard feat to accomplish. Yeah, definitely. But the best known song is The Big Beat, which if you haven't heard, you've probably still heard because it's one of the most sampled drum beats of all time. And that's all there is to talk about his first album. His second album, things get a little cooler or more interesting, I guess. He gets yep. hotter. The facts get cooler. It's a really <laughs> bad joke. <laughs> so when it came time to produce his second album, Billy really, really, really wanted Brian May of Queen to produce it. They were pretty good friends. He was nice. friends with all of Queen, which is just, you know, the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. Jealous. But Brian was, you know, busy and Queen dominating the world didn't have a whole lot of free time yeah so he recommended a different producer his name is reinhold mack who had just produced one of queen's albums the game so squire and mack worked together and produced his second album don't say no which blew up like Mm -hmm. i want to i don't want to call billy squire a one-hit wonder but i think of the people we've covered on the show so far he's the closest thing we have yeah because he kind of this is his next to last album, as you'll see. Like, he did Don't Say No, and then not a lot happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a commercial phenomenon. It had a number one song called The Stroke, mm-hmm. which hit the... I don't want to say it hit number one. I'm not calling it a number one song. It was, the, it, was a, it was a popular song. Yeah. It was in the top 20 in the U.S., so you know you... It's one of those songs that you probably heard everywhere for the entire year of 1981. Going grocery shopping in Psychedelic Grocery Mart. Yeah, you're in the you're Psychedelic Grocery Mart. You're at the mall when people actually hung out at the mall. Yeah. You're, it's everywhere. It was actually top five in Australia. In an interview shortly after the album release, they were asking questions about like, why is the stroke so popular? What, what happened? And he's like, you know, funny thing, the record label hated this song and they didn't want to put that on there. So (laughs) jokes on them because made them a lot of money. Don't you love when that happens? Like in a record label just is like, this song is shit. And the songwriter just comes in and is like, nah, it's going to be a hit. And sure enough. You know, I thought about that this weekend when I was driving because you think about Bohemian Rhapsody and the shit they went through to get them yeah. on the radio. And then right. it blew up. And I'm mm-hmm. like, why don't record labels take more chances? Correct. Worst case scenario, it goes nowhere. Think of Mariah Carey. Yeah. And all I want for Christmas yeah, is all you. I want for Christmas. Like, record labels just need to take chances and they not do. produce the same three chord songs over and over. Correct. That's my TED talk for the day. The Stroke was the number one single or the first single. He followed that up with In the Dark and My Kind of Lover, which you've also probably heard and you just don't know you heard it because I realized after listening to a bunch of his stuff, I heard a lot of these songs. Mm-hmm. Never knew who they came to. He, around this time, there was this newfangled thing called MTV. Ooh. Billy Squire became super popular on that as well as album rock radio. Mm-hmm. Don't Say No hit top five and lasted two years on the Billboard's album chart. Which, and he sold over four million copies in the U.S. alone. That's pretty good. And so since this is his number one hit, just wanted to talk about The Stroke for a little bit because it's, it's a pretty interesting little song. He, I read this interview where they like asked him, 
where the song come from. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to read this quote because it does a better job of saying it than I could. So it says, the song originated in all of all places, Detroit. It's one of the foremost American cities for rock and roll. And it started there. It's not based on what people think it is. But for the most part, there sure is a lot of innuendo attached to that song. And people can certainly take it to the provocative ends of the earth, so to speak. But it's really about something a lot more mundane, which was a commentary on the way people treat each other. In particular, within the music business at the time, people will tell you anything they think you want to hear to get what they want out of you. You're their best friend until they don't need you anymore and then you're out of the door. So that's what the stroke is really about. Good for him. And he says, I'm just going to keep reading this quote. I hate the half this... This is his quotes, but he just, he's really well-spoken. No, that's a great quote. Continue. Um, so now what was interesting to me was that when I decided to call the song that, The Stroke, I realized right away that no one was going to know what the song was about and they were going to make it to be a lot more provocative, very sexual, and it would cause a lot of controversy. So then I said, great, what better combination? For <laughs> I said, great, what better combination could there be for me to write a song? So here as a writer, I could lay out my scathing commentary on the music industry and people would take it the wrong way, which would probably ensure that it would be fairly successful. Genius. 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 Playing the crowd. I know. I love it. Cause like, if you if you Google like the stroke meaning, literally the first result will be masturbation. Yeah, and everyone he's like, nah, that's definitely not what it's about. When it came out, there were a lot of rumors around the song, not not about its title, but specifically that he ripped off a bunch of Led Zeppelin guitar riffs. Because I mean. Everybody's ripping off everybody. Everyone's ripping off Led Zeppelin guitar riffs. Let's be real. Yeah. Um, but he said, with all due respect to those guys, it's no. He's a huge Led Zeppelin fan, and you can hear them across like other songs of his. But he's like, as far as that song, no. If you ask me about my song, Lonely as a Night, sure. I totally ripped off some Led Zeppelin for that, <laughs> but not for the stroke. I love how honest he is. He's just like, yeah, this okay. is who I am. You'll see. Once his career ended, he was like not having it anymore he yeah. was he he got really burned by the music industry yeah and you'll see why so the stroke appears in a bunch of films which is why you've probably heard it it's in billy madison the hot spot small soldiers let's go to prison the curiosity of chance blades of glory <laughs> <laughs> crank high voltage larry crown jobs as well as just the teaser trailer for expendables 3 Nice. And it is sampled a lot, which is why I think most people have probably heard it. And most famously sampled by Eminem in the song Berserk on the Marshall Mathers LP2 in 2013. <laughs> so. That's awesome. That, and he's, he's on the top of the world, commercial success, rolling in fame and publicity. Sorry, that was not his next to last album. That was his middle album. Mm-hmm. He has a third album. It's called Emotions in Motion great album title like, I like it great album title it was almost as almost as successful as don't say no blew up super popular for i mean he already had his he was writing his fame but there are some other reasons why i think it blew up the way it is first off the album art is designed by andy warhol oh wow who you know is super hot at the time yeah when andy warhol gets involved yeah people are interested if you remember he also around this time maybe a little earlier designed a rolling stones cover um sticky fingers right yes i think so there's a lot of albums with stones yeah that's true 
Uh, the title track, Emotions in Motion, has a little guest star by the name of Freddie Mercury. <laughs> just uh, just dropped by. Yeah, and Roger Taylor's playing drums. No big deal. And the, the video for that was also a really, really popular MTV video. Understandable. Yeah. 1982, Things Are Hot for Queen as well. The most popular song was called Everybody Wants You. It stayed number one for six weeks. So he finally reached his number one spot. It'd be his first and last number one. And he actually opened for Queen on the North American leg of the 1982 Hot Space Tour. That's awesome. 1984. He has his fourth album called Signs of Life. It is his third consecutive platinum album. I really miscounted. He has five albums. So this is his last, like, hurrah. Yeah. He has his third platinum certification. But then some things happen with his sound. Like, he starts using synthesizers and Hmm. mixing together synth pop into his guitar rock and like it works but it is just it's different from his other sounds right there's the single off that album's called rock me tonight it reached number 15 which is the highest any of his songs had reached or that can't be right it reached number 15 Mm -hmm. i'm confused (laughs) you're good that literally happened to me at all last episode. I was like, shit. How does this work? This is from the same article. So everybody wants you from the previous one held the number one spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I get it. Just leave all that confusion in there. Okay. So rock me tonight reached number 15 on the billboard chart, which is, you know, the chart of all the songs yeah. before then he had hit number one, but it was only on the rock album chart. It was not on Got it. the billboard chart. So he reached number 15 which was the highest any of his songs has re- had reached to that point. And Rock Me Tonight, great song. Mm-hmm. Charted really high. The video for it is considered to be his career downfall. He says that it misrepresented his identity. Uh-oh. He says it's the most damning four minutes of his career. He didn't enjoy filming it, but he kind of got, you know, caught up in the whirlwind of, you make an album, you have to record a video. Yeah. Like, da, 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 da. He didn't get He didn't get to, like bring his vision to life for the music video mm-hmm. director changed a few times like a couple of days before they were going to release it he like he called it the 11th hour he thought about like calling it back and yeah. he decided oh we'll just push it through and he's regretted it ever since because it's, so what is it so what's in it we'll just watch it okay and then we can describe it because we got time mm-hmm. it's just it's awkward Hey, what's up? This is Shane. And this is Rory. And we're WeenCast. If you're into Ween or are a music lover, check out our podcast. We talk about Ween shows, Ween interviews, everything related to the band Ween. Check us out. Nice four three frame. Gotta watch an ad first. For fantasy. Oh, this looks terrifying. I don't like this. Ooh. I'm skipping that. It's like so I figured it was gonna start with a bed. It starts with him and his silk sheets. And he's like half naked. <laughs> and he's putting his pants on.
Why? Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's going to hump the floor. Don't you hump <laughs> that floor, sir. Uh, he did it. He did it. Uh, they just freeze-framed <laughs> him. That's bad. Yeah. Like, even what my 80s... What were thinking? Even my 80s... I mean, we've watched Dancing in the Street with uh, Mick Jagger and... Shit, yeah. I can't think of who's the other one right now. But... You can't... Oh, uh, Bowie. Jagger and Bowie. Like, that's cringeworthy, but it's funny. And like, Oh, he ripped the shirt. Oh, that he wasn't much of that shirt. And left. he put on a new shirt. So, like, even by 80, 80s standards, this is bad. Yeah. Especially the nice crossfade. Hey, there were a, dancing a in lot a close of, up of his video face. techniques at that point. Okay. Nope, now he's having the law. Gotta test them all. Why did he do this? So, I don't know if we need to watch the whole thing. No, I've seen it. It's pretty much just this. I've seen it. So, enough. you can see why that video ruined his career. Yeah. I feel bad. I feel really bad for him because, you know, like, he just was doing it because he thought it was something he was supposed to do. Right. And... I don't want, I don't know. So he's, so doing research, like he's a very private person, uh-huh. even when he was famous, like he's really hard to find information on, which is why this is going to be such a short show. But I feel like maybe part of him was like, I'm done. Yeah. Let's, let's do four good albums and then peace out and go. We'll see what he ends up doing. Cause it's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. But I don't know. Interesting. The great mystery of Billy Squire. There's, there's, if you do, like when I did the research on him, it's the same two articles over and over and over and over and over. Dang. He's like, hard to find. That's why I only know his name. Yeah. He just, kind I don't of know anything about him. Poofed. So after that album, he did do a, uh, he, he did a couple more albums, but they're not, they're not really, I don't want to say they're not available. They're not big. Like, yeah, they're not, he never recovered from that. So he has enough. It was enough in 1996. There's a track called Love is the Hero, which has Freddie Mercury back on backing vocals, which Mm -hmm. who puts Freddie Mercury on backing vocals, but okay. That's a shame. Yeah. Freddie Mercury also co-wrote a song on that album called Lady with a Tenor Sax. Interesting. It did not do well. It broke his platinum streak. It just didn't do well. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1989, he released Here and Now. I don't know where I got out of my head that there were four albums. He did more. Uh, Here and Now kind of was an interesting album because he goes back to his early 80s sound but then people are like sounds too much like your early stuff so Mm -hmm. he had one okay song off that called don't say you love me it it charted didn't go high Mm -hmm. um he continues to go on this downward trend 1991 he releases creatures of habit which again was criticized for sounding too much like his early stuff I don't know what the people wanted. He's probably real pissed at this point. Right. He releases his last album in 1993 called Tell the Truth. And it was disjointed Mm -hmm. because the different songs have different sets of musicians doing different tracks. Like, I don't know why, but they couldn't get like a full backing band for him for this one. Interesting. I don't really know. They probably ran out of money. Capital was like, eh, we're done with you. Right. It did not chart at all, which is his first album ever to not chart. He felt really betrayed. He felt like they didn't do enough to help him. Right. Get like, off the ground. And- yeah. So he walked away from Capitol Records and from the music business for good. He did come back to release one last album independently 
mm-hmm. by himself in 1998 called it was a solo acoustic blues effort hmm. called happy blue i feel like that was his his way of getting closure of saying yeah. like i went on my own terms Say goodbye then he just pieced out that album you can't it's not on spotify so like i mean it's independent so yeah capital is not profiting off it um and before the internet happened and spotify and capital records like you know want to make money all the time a lot of his fel- albums actually fell out of print really um, so you couldn't find his stuff for a very long time his records i don't want to say they're rare because i don't know enough about record collecting mm-hmm. but like they weren't mass produced because no one was buying them in 2002 like he, he literally vanishes off the face of the planet from 1998 to 2002 mm-hmm. 2002 he kind of resurfaces he gets married to nicole Schoen, who is a professional german soccer player nice they divide their time equally between a home in long island and an apartment on the San Remo on Central Park West in Manhattan. Okay. So they just bounce back and forth between Long Island and Manhattan. Yep. Sounds fun. Okay. And so, like I said, he's really hard to find information on. But guess what he has been doing since 2016? Guess what his hobby is? <sighs> Please tell me it's something with dogs. No, it's better. Better than dogs? He, oh, not as, not at, since 2016. As of 2016. As of 2016. So that means as of this year, he has been an active volunteer for the Central Park Conservancy for 21 years. He physically maintains, I don't want to say by himself, but he's in charge of 20 acres of Central Park. Oh, that's so nice. And he just like promotes the conservancy. And I I did find an interview, like a a relatively recent interview with him. The interviewer just like, interviewed him while he was hanging out with some trees and like trimming them he brings all his own tools oh that's um, so wonderful he does not want to get paid for it because he's like the second i start getting paid for it it's been ruined for me like this yeah. is something i want to do out of love and respect for uh, my home because he lives in new york city yeah he he got the idea because he looked out of the front yard of his apart his bougie apartment that just looks over central park mm-hmm. and was like this could be better so he just got some tools that's so nice and started trimming some trees good for you billy um so that's billy squire and we are only at 27 minutes that's so we all right talk about it we only run out of time that's true so yeah he got kind of screwed over by that is interesting capital like, records no exactly like man I just think it's so interesting, like how he just has his big spike and Capitol like didn't stop him from releasing that video. No. Why did they not stop him? I don't know. They're it's, kind of the reason for the downfall. It's cringy. That video is cringy. And yeah, because he's not super famous, like there's not a lot of archive information on the Internet. It's not like the stones where you can find. Right. Every conversation that ever took place and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find stuff on. But like. It's weird. He just kind of vanishes after Capitol Records fails him. Yeah. And just resurfaces. That sucks, man. Trimming trees. But this is why I think our new generation of Spotify, I know we complain about it doesn't pay artists, but you also have a lot more freedom than these artists had. Like you have a lot more control over your career than these guys did. Yeah. That's one of the things I was, I was talking to someone at the concert this past weekend, not to keep talking about the concert, but he was commenting on like, he was so surprised that Des Rocks didn't have a full length album. And I was like, you do know that they're not signed yet. 
mm-hmm. they're he's doing they're doing it all independently and he's like what and i was like yeah they don't have a record label they're yeah. just out here make they literally make music in an abandoned warehouse in new york city and release yeah. it and they can because of the internet yeah it's better yeah it, it i mean we have our gripes about it but it's, it's better yeah they don't it does not pay artists well no so if you really want to support artists flip over to itunes and spend six dollars or buy, buy a shirt album. Yeah, or buy a shirt. Buy vinyl. Buy buy some kind of merchandise. But Spotify does does a good job. I mean, we wouldn't be able to get Billy Squire music probably today if Spotify yeah. didn't exist. So that's true. Um, I'm sure it was digitized for iTunes, but I'm sure it wasn't iTunes priority to digitize Billy <laughs> Squire. Yeah, that's that's Billy Squire. Go check him out. We'll post the playlist as usual. This one is a little di- different because I feel like people aren't gonna know his music so that's what this podcast is here for go check it out get to know artists that you don't know yep what you're drinking by the way oh yeah i'm drinking this very interesting can oh my gosh i just looked at what it's called it's called clown shoes beer oh gosh (laughs) it's a mango american kolsch kolsch it's it's i it's not good it's not my favorite i don't know if i like kolsch beers i feel like i've had one before I feel like any beer that describes themselves as a malt beverage is not a good beer. Yeah. It does say our mission is to produce beer without pretension while being free and a little crazy. And they put mango in it. They put a bunch of mangoes on the can. There's a dude eating a mango on the can. It doesn't really taste that much like mango. No, it really doesn't. There's some clown shoes hidden in the mangoes over here. That's clever. Um, yeah. There you go. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You also can leave a review. Let us know what you think of Billy Squire or Pantera or any of the artists that we talk about. Special thanks to Josh Tarpley for our intro riff and Lauren Page Photography for our cover art. Special thanks to Backline Coffee for fueling us when we need it and to Speaker Tree Records for giving us tunes when we need it. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. You also can find us on Twitter at She Will Rock the letter U pod. You also can follow us individually at Beth Ann Tarpley or at LeahElizabeth.J. Um, you also can send us an email. Let us know what you think about this in general. Uh, Just tell so, us your thoughts. That's all I got. Uh, that email address is She Will Rock You at gmail.com. And of course, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. But take care of the earth. Yes. Go trim some, go hug a tree, trim a tree, plant a tree. Yeah. Do it. Bye. <laughs>